Well, good morning. I want to personally uh, welcome all of you here today, especially our first-time guests. If you're a first-time guest here today, we are thrilled that you're here. In fact, can we just give our first-time guests an applause? Maybe 20 or 30 or so of you. <clears throat> um, we, you were invited here by someone who loves you and cares about you, and because they love you and care about you, they want you to hear some of what's going on here at this church and be part of it, and uh, there's, a, there's a very good chance that your name has been written on a stage here, our stage, or on the back wall. This is not graffiti. Uh, we just don't write on our stuff here at the church. Uh, we write names down of people that we are praying for, that we care about, and that we love, and you are one of those people here today, and so uh, we welcome you. Uh, we're in a series right now called Walls. Actually, we're wrapping things up, <clears throat> and this is our third week, our final week of this series. And next week, we're going to start a brand new series called The Power of Questions. I'm very excited about that. Uh, but today, we wrap things up by talking about walls again. In this series, if you've been here, we've talked about some walls that need to be jumped over, uh, past failures, some fears, uh, right, some of those things. And then last week, we talked about some walls that need to be blown up. And we talked about the wall of pride, the wall of hate, and the wall of jealousy. And we talked about how love is really the thing that blows those walls up. So hopefully you're able to, to blow some walls up. Anybody successful exploding, exploding some terrible things in your life? Hopefully uh, you're able to do that. And uh, love is the answer there, loving your neighbor as yourself. And so hopefully you can, if you missed last week, go back, watch the podcast. I promise it'll, it'll be encouraging and challenging uh, to you. So today, what do we want to talk about today? We want to talk about building one wall. If you're a note taker and you like to do that, which I encourage everyone to do because you forget most of what you don't write down. It's one of my favorite lines. You forget most of what you don't write down. Have you noticed that in your life? You mean to do something, but you forgot because you didn't write it down. Something happens in the brain when you actually physically write something down, which is why I encourage everyone to keep a journal, not a diary, a journal. There's a difference. <clears throat> Got to say that to the guys, you know what I mean? Because they, they think I'm talking about a diary. Not nah, talking about a journal. Anyway, um, if you're a note taker today, the first feeling is for you is that some walls need to be built up. Some walls need to be fortified. Some walls need to be strengthened and built up in your life. No, we can't talk about building walls without talking about the Great Wall of China. I mean, I'm not a history person. Uh, I've said this before. I didn't pay attention in high school, and I wish I would have, but my history teacher was boring. Anybody else have a boring history teacher? <laughs> I mean, I don't know why it's, they're so boring. This stuff is really exciting. You start to learn about what, what, what happened in history, but the Great Wall of China is pretty insane. I mean, this thing was built over 2,000 years fascinating. Over a million Chinese people worked on this wall. I can't believe that. You know, it, 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 I, as I researched this, and, and some, some, low, some estimates were low, some were higher, but the lowest estimate I found was like 300,000 people died building this wall. And that most of the time when they died, their bodies were just thrown into the wall, just like that. So you could make the argument that this is the largest cemetery in the world. It's fascinating. You know, some people think you can see it from the moon, but you can't. That's just a, that's just a fib. But you can see it through, through uh, you know, some satellite imageries and you focus in. But it's over 13,000 miles long. It's, it's just an incredible uh, human feat. It's the largest uh, building 
in the world. I mean, I know it's a wall, but it's, it's a structure. It's the largest structure ever built in the entire world. And you want to know why it was built? This is incredible. The main purpose behind the wall, now it's a tourist attraction, of course, but, but when it was originally built, it was built to keep the enemies of China out of their country. It was a defense mechanism. Isn't that incredible? You know, when you look in the Bible, you see this metaphor because a lot of ancient cities, and most ancient cities, they would build a wall around the city to keep the enemies out. And so when you look into the book of Proverbs in particular, you see this, this theme, this metaphor of wall building to kind of keep the enemies out. In, in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, Solomon says this. He says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. A city that had no walls was vulnerable to its enemies. The enemy can walk right into that city and do whatever it wanted to do. Kidnap the women, burn down the buildings, whatever the enemy wanted to do. Take over, right? Take everybody captive. And so it was essential for a city back in those days to have fortified walls to keep the enemy out. They, you know, those, they didn't have planes that came over top and dropped bombs and all that stuff. They just had horses and stuff like that, okay? So you had to have a wall. So what is Solomon saying here? He's saying, whoever doesn't rule his own spirit, whoever, let me, let me pause here real quick. This word spirit here is, is, is the, the inner part of a person. It's the inside. It's the part that you can't see. It's the soul. It's the mind, it's the emotions, it's the appetites, it's the desires, it's the motivations, all those intangible things. It's the real you on the inside. Like when you die, your body stays here and your spirit will leave, okay? Solomon is talking about the thing that's intangible, the thing that will live on forever. He's not talking about your body. He says, whoever doesn't rule over that intangible part of yourself is similar to a city that has no walls. What does that mean? Solomon is simply saying, if, if you don't have control of your inner person, if you don't rule it well, you are vulnerable to the enemy in the same way that, in the same way that a city without walls is vulnerable to the enemy. What is he talking about? He's talking about people who are ruled by their appetites and their desires and their emotions. Instead of ruling them, they are ruled by them. You ever sit, sit on the couch at night and um, all of a sudden get a hankering, I don't know, for some ice cream or cheese doodles? I don't know what your hankerings are. You know, it's like 10 o'clock at night and you're watching something, all of a sudden you just get a little hankering. And all of a sudden your feet start moving. And they start moving towards the refrigerator <laughs> or the cabinet, right? And before you know it, you got a bowl of something. And if this is a regular occurrence, you gain 10 pounds a year. You with me? <laughs> I mean, it's 10 pounds a year. See, that, that's a person who is ruled by their appetites. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. He says, their God, lowercase g, their God is their what? Their belly. Who's in charge of these people? Their appetites, Right? I have a problem recently, it's been developing over time, I think. I buy too many pairs of shoes. I do. The other day my wife said, you have lots of shoes. I didn't think it was a problem. But now she pointed it out, I'm like, man, I've got shoes in every closet. I got a pile over here and a pile over here. You know what it is? I get a hankering. When I'm driving down 31 or whatever and I know I've got a, my wife's got a 30% off coupon and 
you can slip right into Kohl's, and sometimes they have scratch-off coupons too. I pay attention. <laughs> and you can slip in there, and all of a sudden you're walking out with like a pair of shoes for 25, 30 bucks. Originally priced at 70. <laughs> I didn't realize this, but I've been doing this. You know, I'm wearing a pair of them right now. Blue suede shoes. I like them. <laughs> 30 bucks at Kohl's. Listen, if I, don't, if I don't rule my spirit well, I'm vulnerable to the word sale. Anybody else? Anybody else in financial problems right now because you're vulnerable to the word sale? <laughs> you're in lots of debt, see? He who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city without walls. The, the, the temptation can be dropped right in and, and you just, you, you, you can't help it. You're driving into Kohl's. You're pulling up to the refrigerator. You're seeing what's in the cabinets. You know, you're, you're pulling up to the computer to look at some pornography or whatever. Because your God is your belly. Paul says, basically, these people are in trouble. They're vulnerable to the, to, to, to the enemy. Did you know you have an enemy? Note takers, note takers, check it out. You're, you have an enemy, and his name is the devil. And he plays for keeps. He's coming after you. If you're a person of faith, he wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. Listen to how Peter warns us. Listen to this stern warning in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Watch out for him. Be on your toes. Be on guard. Because here's what he wants to do. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When I was a little kid, my dad used to let us watch the nature shows. Remember the old nature shows? Marty Stauffer, whatever his name was. And they'd show you the cheetahs and the lions chasing after the gazelle or the antelope. And then they'd, you know, and as a little boy, you're watching this like, oh, it's like horror. It's like, but it's nature. And they get on top and they start tearing this poor thing apart and the blood everywhere and there's guts. I'm like, I can't believe I'm watching this. It's still burned into my mind, you know? That's how, lions, that's how lions feed themselves and they feed their young, right? This is, this is what Satan wants to do to my life. He wants, he wants to tear you apart and devour you. Whoa! <laughs> that's a little bit different. See, most of us think life is like an episode of Friends or Cheers, right? It's kind of... Hey, let's go and live life. And we have no idea that there's an enemy out there who's roaming around, and if we're not careful, he'll get into our heart and he will devour our lives. We have to start paying attention. We have to start to be alert to this stuff. There's a battle going on for your heart. And, and, and all Paul is saying and all Solomon is saying is, look, if you don't watch over your heart, if you don't build walls in your life, certain walls in your life, you are vulnerable to the enemy's attacks in your life. And if you're not careful and if you're not on your toes, he will take you out. Are you with me today? Are you hearing this? This is, this is good truth right here you have to absorb into your life. But you know what? You don't have to, be, you don't have to get devoured. You don't have to be a victim of the enemy. You don't have to be another statistic. Your marriage doesn't have to end because of adultery. No, 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 no. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be a victim to, to the word sale or, the, or, or, an, or a victim to all the, the, the sugary sweets and foods out there that, give you, that, that kill your body, literally. You don't, have to, you don't have to do that. It doesn't have to be that way. In fact, God has given you the responsibility to rule your heart. 
He's told us in Scripture, this is your job. You must take charge of your spirit. Translation, you must build walls around your heart to protect your heart. In Proverbs 16, verse 32, this is, what, this is another, something else that Solomon said. He said, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. This, this word is mighty warrior, a mighty man of valor. Listen to this. He continues. And he who rules his spirit, there's that phrase again, than he who takes a city. Now, a person who can take a city, a soldier who can take a city, is pretty, that's pretty cool, don't you think? I mean, in our, in our world today, the, the soldiers that are elevated to the highest level are the Navy SEALs, right? I got a picture of these are actual Navy SEALs right here. These are the guys that the president calls on when we need to go in and kill a target like Osama bin Laden or somebody else. They call the Navy SEALs. There's no one better. You know what Solomon says? Whoever is slow to anger is better than a Navy SEAL. Wow. Whoever rules his own spirit is better than a soldier who can take a city. What is he saying? He's saying that the greatest victory, the greatest victory is not taking a city. It's not taking out the enemy target. It's ruling your spirit well. That's the greatest victory. It's victory over self. It's you telling your desires and your appetites what they can or cannot do instead of your appetites and your desires ruling your life and telling you what to do. It's telling your stomach to shut up. It's telling you to keep your hand out of your pocket so that you're not dishing out cash. You cannot buy that even though it's on sale, you. See, the best preaching that you need to be doing is to yourself, not somebody else. Shut up, you. Close that refrigerator door, you. Go sit back down on that couch, you, right? That's ruling your spirit well. And when we don't do that, when, when, when our God is our belly, we are opened up to all kinds of attacks from the enemy. Listen to what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard, protect, build walls around your, say it with me, your hearts. And you got to do this above all else. Top priority. First thing you have to worry about when you wake up in the morning, through the day, when you go to bed at night, is your heart. Why? Why? Because... It determines, for it determines the course of your life. Wow, what powerful words. It's actually true. I said this in the Soul Keeping series if you were here a month ago or so. I said that the, the condition of your heart determines the quality of your life. That's what Solomon's trying to say. Like, like the shape of my heart, like what, what kind of shape am I in? Is my heart angry? Is it lustful? Is it jealous? Is it embittered? Is it resentful? Is it prideful? Like the condition of my heart determines the quality of my life. Everything I say and everything I do comes from my heart and comes from your heart. Does that make sense? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 15, verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Have you ever said something to somebody and it was really wrong? <laughs> and, you, and then you kind of back it up with, ah, oh, man, I, that wasn't me. I don't know what I was thinking. You know what Jesus would say to you? Nope. <laughs> that was you. <laughs> it came from your mouth, right? And, and where, do our, where do the words come from? They come right from our heart. In other words, if you want to know what someone's really like on the inside, just listen to how they talk, right? Because out of the mouth, the, the heart is revealed. The condition 
of my heart determines the quality of my life. Have you ever said something and, and it changed the quality of your life? Guys, have you ever slept on the couch because of something you've said? Has a relationship with a child ever been strained because of something that was said? Has the relationship between a husband and a wife in your life been strained because of something that was said? You can't take it back. See, the, the condition of my heart determines the quality of my life. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. This is real stuff. So it's only natural for the enemy to try to attack our heart. Where's, what's he after? He wants to attack my heart, your heart. That's the city, that, right? That's, that's the place of life. That's where everything is thriving. That's where life is. So what does he do? He aims his arrows right at our heart. And what's his goal? His goal is to turn our heart away from God. That's what he wants to do in our lives. He did it to King Solomon. It's a sad story. Solomon started out so well. He actually had a verbal conversation with God. He, he asked him for wisdom, and God talked to him and said, Yo, you know, because you haven't asked for riches or wealth or fame or fortune, I'm going to give you wisdom. He had this verbal conversation with God. He started out great, King Solomon. He wrote most of the Proverbs. But towards the end of Solomon's life, he screwed up. He blew it. He didn't end well. His heart drifted away. Let's talk about what happened. See, one of the rules for being the king of Israel was found in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17. This is what it reads. The king must not have many wives for himself. Why? Because these women from other lands, and that's what would happen, they would marry these different women for political reasons and power and all types of things. I'm not ruling out the sexual part of things, but the, that, that was part of it too. Because these women with their other gods will turn his, what? Heart. See, what's, see that's, that's the goal of the enemy. He wants to turn your heart away from the things of God, away from God. And so, Let's look at Solomon's life. It says, you know, at the end of his life, he, he, he blew it. He screwed up. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3. He had 700 of them. And he had 300 concubines. I, I mean, I don't even want to talk about what a concubine is in church. He didn't just break this law, he blew this law up. And guess what happened in the end? And in fact, they did, say it with me, turn his heart away from the Lord. Verse four reads like this. For when Solomon was old, not in his 70s, not in his 80s, scholars say he was about 55 years old, at the oldest, 55. See, this sin doesn't go away as you get older. When he was about 55 years old, his wives, say it with me, turned. They turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. See, that's the enemy's tactics. All he wants to do is, is aim his arrows at our hearts so that our hearts will turn away from the living God. See, the first commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. A little bit more. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the first commandment, right? Why? Because... When we love God with all of our heart, man, we are thinking about him, loving him, worshiping him, prioritizing him, making all of our decisions through him, loving him. We, our whole life is centered on him. That's the path of life, right? In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand is our pleasures forevermore. This is, this is life, to love God with all of your heart. So what is Satan going to do? He doesn't want you to have life. 
So he just comes in and he tries to turn your heart away from God. And he doesn't even have to use necessarily evil things. He does, like addictions or alcohol or pills or sexual immorality or whatever. He does throw wickedness at us, but he'll also use not so wicked things, like, I don't know, busyness. If he could just keep you busy, that'll turn your heart away from God. You know, you gotta go and you gotta do and you gotta go and you gotta do and you gotta go and you gotta do and take the kids here and go there and do this and do that. Before you know it, God is not part of your mind. He's not part of your heart. You're not thinking about him. You're not praying to him. You're not worshiping him. You're not loving him. Well, you're just doing all the things that you have to do in your life just to keep all the dishes and the cups going and the spinning in your life. So it's not even evil that, that he necessarily, now he certainly comes at us with evil like he did with Solomon, but it's just anything that will turn your heart from God. You with me? He's attacking. Now, what are his strategies? Two, two things. Temptation and discouragement. See, if you're taking notes, you need to build a wall. I need to build a wall to protect us, to our hearts from temptation. He is a fisherman. He comes after us, and he throws the bait into the water, and the fish swim towards the bait. That's what Satan does to us. His name in Scripture is the tempter. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul said this to the Thessalonians. He said, I was afraid that the, say it with me, the tempter, that's what he does. He tempts us, had gotten the best of you, and that our work had been useless. He comes into our life and he throws temptation down. It could be sexual temptation, temptation to hold a grudge against somebody. It could be temptation to chase after money, temptation to chase after power, temptation to get, defense, uh, to get defensive when someone's critiquing you. It, it, all kinds of temptation. He just throws it out in front of us. And if we don't have a wall built up in our life, it'll devour us. We also need a wall in our life to build up, to guard our hearts against discouragement. We need a wall in our hearts and our lives to build, uh, to, to, to help fight or keep out discouragement. See, what the, what the devil wants to do is discourage you and keep you down. And so a lot of times what he'll do is after you give in to temptation, anybody ever give in to temptation? Some of you just, some, some of you just lied. <laughs> you gave in to temptation in church. Right after we give, up, we give in to temptation, the devil jumps right on that and tries to discourage us with something called accusation. Tell me if you've ever heard this voice. Now that you've done that, look, you're awful. You'll never be anything more than a liar. You'll never be anything more than an adulterer. You're terrible. You're awful. You're the worst person in the world. Have you ever heard that voice right after you gave in to temptation? Whose voice is that? Is it yours? It's the accuser. And the reason he comes in to accuse you is because he sees that you're down and he wants you to stay down, so he just heaps upon the accusation so that you will feel awful. And then over here, somebody's looking at you and you're down on your knees and you're, you're discouraged. And this person over here happens to be an unbeliever and they're, they're walking through this life without Jesus. And you have Jesus, but you've been taken out by Satan. And now, and now this person's looking and saying, well, if that's what it looks like to be a Christian, I don't want anything to do with it. See, if Satan can't take you to hell, he'll just make you useless in this life. How? By discouraging you. Did you get that? Some of you are wondering, why am I always so discouraged? Let me tell you why. Because you have an enemy, and his name is the devil, and he roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to discourage. 
and keep you down and make you useless. You're supposed to be salt and you're supposed to be light and you're, you're supposed to be carrying around joy and peace, but when you're discouraged, none of that stuff is visible to an unbelieving world. You have nothing to offer to your neighbor who doesn't know Christ, who's an agnostic or a skeptic or an atheist. You have nothing to offer them. Why? Because the devil's got you discouraged. Because you gave into temptation and he's heaping on accusations. You with me? Not only does he accuse you, but he also uses other people. Have you noticed how he manipulates other people to discourage you? Anybody have any discouraging people in your life? <laughs> right? People, they, they do things to you, they hurt you, they say things, they wound you, they take things from you, right? A lot of times it's the people in our life that get us discouraged. Maybe you live with someone like this, and then he also uses difficult circumstances. That's exactly what he did to Job. If you don't believe me, just read the book of Job tonight. Satan got permission from God to bring terrible circumstances upon Job. Why? To try to ruin his faith. And he almost succeeded. In fact, many times in the book of Job, it looks like Job is on the brink of giving up. He's cursing the day he was born. He's saying, I wish I was dead. And it looks like he was just about to give up. But in the end, he pulls through. Wow, so good. Look at the psalmist. He says in Psalm 42, he says, why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? If, you've, if you're there right now, let me, let me encourage you. You're not the only one. Everybody gets discouraged in this life, and the reason everybody gets discouraged is because we have an enemy, and he comes at us with accusations and people and difficult circumstances. And so what do you need? You need a wall. You need a wall to stop the arrows of discouragement from coming into your heart. You, you, if you don't have a wall, you're like a city that's vulnerable to the enemy. The enemy can come right in and wreak havoc and devour your life. So let's talk about that wall. We're just going to talk about one today, and it's the wall of truth. You and I need to build the wall of truth in our life. You ever see the movie uh, with Jack Nicholas in there? I think it's A Few Good Men. He says, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> see, the enemy can't handle the truth. When Jesus was led into the wilderness, right before he started his ministry in the book of Matthew, he was, he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and the Bible says that the tempter came to tempt him in the desert. And the first temptation that the devil throws at Jesus, he says, why don't you turn these rocks into bread and satisfy your desires? He hadn't eaten anything for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempting Jesus in the area of his appetites, of his appetite, of his belly, right? Aren't you hungry? Go ahead and utilize your powers as the Son of God to make yourself some bread to satisfy your desires, right? Jesus faced the same temptations you do. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. It is, say it with me, so important to get that word. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This, this is a Bible verse from Deuteronomy. Jesus quotes the truth of God's word to fight off Satan. And, it, and he wins. He throws up this wall of truth, and the, and the temptation falls flat. But Satan's not done with him. He takes him up to the high, one of, the, one of the, the highest point in the temple, in the square, and he says to Jesus, he actually quotes scripture. Did you know the devil knows the Bible? Did you know that? And unfortunately, he knows it better than a lot of us. It's unfortunate. And he quotes scripture to Jesus, and he says, you know what? It is also written that if the Son of God throws himself down from this temple, that the angels will come down and, and catch him, and you will not even bruise your foot on the ground. And so Jesus looks at him, and, 
And look what he says in verse 7. I love it. He says, again, it is, say it with me, it's written. It's written. He's not making this stuff up. He didn't have a Bible in his back pocket. He had it in his mind, and he had it in his heart. And he says, in the midst of the temptation, it is written, Satan, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, what, what was the temptation here? The temptation was in the front of everybody, in the center of, of town. If Jesus would throw himself off the top of this building, the angels would come down and catch him, and everybody in the town would go, whoa, did you see that? He's the son of God. It was temptation to, to grab hold of recognition and significance and look at me. And don't you face that all the time and don't I face that all the time? <laughs> to try to do something to get recognized in the office or with whoever. And Don't we want people to see what we've done and we want to be significant. We want to be noticed and recognized. Jesus resists that temptation. And he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the temptation falls flat. But the devil's not done. He takes him to a high mountain where he could see all of the lands, all, all the land around, as far as the eye could see. And he says to, to Jesus, listen, if you just bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this land. You could be the king. Now, the Satan was a little bit psychotic here. He thought he was in charge, but he wasn't. And he didn't realize that Jesus actually did own everything already. But still, the temptation is valid because Jesus could have claimed his right to be king right in that moment and said, you know what? I am the king of kings. I do own all of this. Everybody should bow down to me. And instead, he says this in verse 10. Then Jesus said to the devil, be gone, for it is, say it with me, you got to get that. If you get nothing else today, it is written that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And in verse 11, we read these wonderful words that can be true for you and true for me. Then the devil left him. How did Jesus fight temptation? He fought temptation with the truth of God's word. Let me tell you something. You need to do the same thing. You know, our, in our world today, a lot of people are falling prey to sexual temptation because it's rampant, it's everywhere. You know, the Bible talks so much about sexual temptation Proverbs chapter 5 and 6 are full of incredible truth on how to fight it off. I'm not immune to this. The Satan tempts, tempts me the same way that he tempts you in this world with, with, with sexual temptation. You know, one of, the, one of the easiest truths that I've memorized and assimilated into my heart it came from the mouth of Jesus on this very topic. He said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 8, the pure in heart will see God. It's a very simple, it's a very simple verse. The pure in heart will see God. Here, here, here's what happened in my heart and mind when I memorized that truth. It is written. Here's what I say to Satan when, when I'm tempted this way. It is written. The pure in heart will see God. Now what that does for me, it lays out two options. If I want to see God, I have to be pure in heart. You see? And if I indulge in sexual immorality, I cannot see God. I cannot walk intimately with him and hear his voice and feel close to him. I cannot have it both ways. And so Jesus' comment, Jesus' statement, the pure in heart will see God, is a wall of truth that I bring up in my life, and I say, wait a second. If I, if I take this bait that Satan has thrown out in front of me, if I take it, if I eat it, if I swallow it, then I will forfeit an intimate relationship with Christ. And I just cannot do that. Now, does it work every time? No. But that's just one brick. That's just one brick in the wall that I built around my heart for, for that temptation. How about you? How about you? Can you say, can you say, it is 
written. My hope after this talk is that you'll be able to say that. Let's talk about discouragement, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Satan's goal is to discourage your heart. Not just to tempt you, but to get you down. Listen to what Romans chapter 15 says. For everything that was, there it is again. Are you catching on here? Is anybody catching on? It is written in the past, talking about the Old Testament, um, that it was written to teach us, watch this, what is, what is it written to teach us? So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we might have hope. Do you see that? The scriptures, the Bible, is the source of encouragement. It's the source that brings us hope. Why do you think I continually challenge you to read it, read it, read it, memorize it, meditate on it? Because it gives you hope. Some of you know that this last week and last two weeks at our church has been a difficult time. It could easily have been a time where where not just myself but the staff and you included could get discouraged and get down. I just refuse to let it happen. And you want to know how? With the wall of truth. Let me share with you a few thoughts that have been going through my mind this week. You might want to jot these down. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. It's been going through my mind. It is written. Another one is Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. It is written, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. Wow. It's going through my mind. Satan tries to discourage. No, 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 no. Not me. You're not going to get in. You're not going to get in my city. You're going to hit that wall of truth. How about Psalm chapter 20, 23, verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Ever been there? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Wow. It's going through my mind. Going through my heart. It is written. It is written. How about Psalm 16, verse 8? I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoices and my whole whole body is glad and dwells secure. Just going through my mind, just going through my heart as Satan tries to attack and discourage. No, 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 no. He is hitting the wall of truth and he's had to flee. Does he come back? Sure he does, sure he does. But how do you win that battle? How do you resist the enemy? You keep him out with the wall of truth. Are you getting this? Say amen. Amen. My heart for you, my heart for you today is to leave this place and be dedicated and resolved to take one or two or three scriptures and begin to memorize them and meditate on them. Listen, do you think that I was able to quote those verses to you because I'm a pastor? What do you think? You think that was part of my sermon? If you think so, you're wrong. See, the reason that the word of God is in my mind and heart is because there's a battle over my heart. There's a battle for my marriage with this sweet woman right here. I've got three children. This church, there's a battle. There's a fight. And the, 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 the roaring lion is walking around trying to find a weak spot, trying to find a, a hole in the, in the wall to get in to bring temptation and to bring discouragement. And I just refuse to let it happen. How about you? How about you? 
You gotta, have, you gotta have a wall. And guess what? It's built over time. You cannot build a gigantic wall in a week, but you gotta build it brick by brick. I just shared a, f- a few of the bricks in my life, brick by brick by brick. And sure enough, before you know it, you've got a wall built to protect your heart. Guard your heart above all else. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. What would happen if you did this? If you took what I said today and you ran with it and you started to memorize and meditate on Scripture, well, let me tell you what will happen. You won't end your life like Solomon did. See, he didn't finish well. He finished in disgrace. He actually built temples to foreign gods for his wives. He didn't finish well at the end of his life. You won't end up like him. You'll end up more like Paul. Here's what Paul said in the book of 2 Timothy. Fabulous words. This is, this is how you want to finish your, finish your life. Be able to say this when you meet God. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained, say it with me, faithful. You want that? Do you want this right here? You want to keep your integrity all the way to the end? You want to keep your family together all the way to the end? You want people to be able to say at your funeral, my dad, my mom was faithful to the end. He wasn't, she wasn't taken out by the enemy. She didn't give in to temptation or discouragement. She, he finished strong. Do you want that? I think you do. Okay, if you want that, build the wall of truth around your heart as high and as thick as you possibly can. As high and as thick as you possibly can, right around your heart. Why? Because it's going to help you finish strong. When you're 80 years old, 85, few teeth left in your mouth, you got grandbabies and great-grandbabies around you, and your kids are now in their 40s or 50s, and you can start passing the baton of character, of love, of peace, and of joy. Wouldn't that be something? The finish strong, finish well. Build the wall of truth around your heart. He who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Will you take what I've said today and will you run with it and will you do it and will you apply it? My hope is that you will. Now, there's some of you here today, I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. You're loved. You're cared for. You've been invited into this environment in hopes that you would open up your heart to Jesus. And here, here's, the, here's the short of it. Here's the short of it. You were designed to be in a relationship with God. But we all are born into this world broken and sinful. It's the curse right from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, Adam and Eve. And because of sin, a relationship with God that you were created for is not possible. To be united with him, walking with him experiencing him in your life every single day and all that comes with that. 
But see, that's why Jesus Christ came into this world, to die on a cross so that that sin and the penalty of sin can be washed away. Anybody excited about that? And so what you need to hear today is there was a, na- a man named Jesus, and 2,000 years ago, he stretched out his hands and he was nailed to a cross so that you could be reconciled back to God and be forgiven of your sins. That is a gift. It is called the gift of eternal life. And you don't receive it by sitting in a chair here or putting money in a bucket that gets passed or being a good person when you leave this place. You don't, you don't go to heaven because you did anything. You go to heaven by simply embracing by faith the gift of eternal life that's offered to you from the cross. It's something he did. It's not something you can do. He already died in your place. You just need to receive it as a gift. You say, how do I do that? You, sit, you pray. You pray. You express your faith through a prayer. It sounds something like this. Dear Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior. Come into my life. Wash me of my sins. Make me your child. I believe in you. I trust you. It sounds something just like that. So if you feel God pulling on your heart or tugging on your heart right now in this moment, because I did when I was 17, I felt it. I was like, what is this? I, I, don't want, I don't want God, but he was pulling me. He was tugging me. I couldn't help it. He was wooing me to himself. If you're feeling that right now, please pay attention to that pulling, that tugging. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's leading you to express your faith in Christ right now. If that's you right now, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your head. In this most holy moment, say this prayer backed by your faith to him. He's listening. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. That you paid the penalty for my sin. I trust you. Please forgive me and cleanse me of all my sin. And help me to follow you and honor you for the rest of my life. I love you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, Please, please, please have enough courage to go back to one of the tables back here to my left and to my right. I've got some friends back there. There are stacks of these one-year Bibles. We want to put one of these in your hands today as a gift because this is how you build the wall of truth around your heart. I read these same passages every single day. It's broken down into dates. It's our gift to you. If you have a friend who prayed to receive Christ today, walk them back there. If you're in a balcony, please come down and, and take one of those Bibles and put one right in your hands. Now, if you've already been saved, if, you're, if you've already said that prayer years ago, those Bibles are not for you, okay? We have them for sale in the bookstore. Uh, please don't be cheap and try to steal one of our, our gift, gift Bibles. <laughs> They're five bucks in the bookstore. But if you just prayed to receive Christ today or last week or the week before, go back there and grab one of those Bibles. Can we give God glory today? My challenge, my encouragement to you today as you walk out is to build that wall of truth. It took 2,000 years to build the wall of China. It's not going to happen overnight. This is going to take some time. But hey, we got some time, don't we? You're going to be around in five years, most of us, right? What would happen if five years your wall was tall and thick and right around your heart? Come on, wouldn't that be awesome?
All right, let's pray. We'll get out of here. God, we love you. Thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that we would leave this place and apply it. Take your word into our heart to protect us against the enemy's temptations, against his discouragement. Help us to protect the city, our heart, with high and thick walls of truth. We give you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go back and grab your Bible if you prayed to receive Christ. Next week, we start a brand new series called The Power of Questions. Bring a friend. We'll see you next week.